everyone can hear everyone okay sound good looking good we're live as in live live as in live live oh, we had no count in this time all right <laughs> welcome to momentous episode is this five or six five five that's five. right i should learn to read yeah welcome tasia graham and will after an extra week off uh, we've got lots to catch up on how was everyone's long weekends? I uh, put on probably about five pounds worth of chocolate. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, c- could have done it without that. I I'm still eating five pounds full of ham. I'm still eating chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. There's a there's a lot more left over in the stores. I don't know if that was sort of a like fewer people bought chocolate this year. Did they overstock on chocolate? But uh, there's a lot more chocolate in the stores. Is chocolate considered an essential item for you all in Canada? <laughs> yes. Good. Was that unclear? No, it's good because yeah. that means you'll be able to buy it. It won't be blocked off. Like in Ontario, they're blocking everything off in the stores. That's not essential. Mm-hmm. So even though you're already there, you can't buy the other things. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had what can our- I say? Long weekend. We had a couple of significant cultural and religious holidays over the last couple of weeks, with you know Passover and Easter and whatnot. And you know, sometimes people take the, those times of years to reflect and try and find themselves a little bit. Perhaps maybe maybe with the springtime, we have spring cleaning. You know, you may find things in your closets you never you never realize. But uh, Apple thought it would get in on the uh, on the action and decide to expand their Find My network which is surprising a lot of people. We've been able to find my iPhone, find my iPad, find my Mac for a while. And there's been rumors uh, for, for months and months now that Apple was going to invent a competitor to Tile, the little tags you could attach to your keys, or your pets, or slip in your kid's backpack and have their own uh, extension to the Find My Network that way. But then they th- they've thrown everyone a curveball and have expanded the Find My Network to offer new third-party finding experiences and rolling it into the MFI program. What's going on here, Graham? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, Apple is looking at a, a lot of their technology. You know, the, the Find My iPhone works well. Find My AirPods does not. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a silly thing. You know, it, uh, unless the AirPods have been opened, the case is not broadcasting. And so... I can't tell you the number of times that I've left them somewhere, and I know they left them somewhere, but they will not report to anything because they're not transmitting to anything. Um, so apparently the next generation of AirPods is going to have something like this built in. But this, I think, is Apple looking at a chunk of the network, uh, a chunk of the, the market and saying, okay, we could get into this and, and do this on our own. But they have actually been more standards-minded than uh, a lot of people give them credit for over the course of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, FaceTime was supposed to be uh, an open standard, and it was only because of a patent dispute that uh, that it wasn't. So looking at this right now, I think that Apple is probably saying, you know what, we're going to have an entry into this category. They're probably going to have AirTags, um, but it's better for everyone if these things work harmoniously together, right? If your tile can also ping your AirTag, can ping your whatever else that you've got in your finding network, um, this is actually a, this is a huge net benefit for uh, for Apple users and for the users of these technologies. Well, the uh, interesting thing is that what Apple has that Tile doesn't is a, a huge 
network of users with iPhones, iPads, Macs, and other devices out there. Because the way tile would work is if you lost a set of keys or another, you know, something else that had a tile tag on it, you know, anyone that had the tile app installed on their phone could basically be a sensor to help you find that stuff. And you would get a notification and some sort of uh, geotag information as to the general vicinity of where your stuff might be. Well, you take that and you multiply it by one or two orders of magnitude with the billion plus Apple devices out there. And all of a sudden you've got a much more pervasive network and you have a much better chance of actually finding your stuff that may have gone missing should you have uh, an Air an Apple AirTag uh, connected to it. And then of course, by expanding to all these other third parties that you know everyone can tap into the power of the I. The, the Apple ecosystem that way. So backing up on this, there are only 5,700 and some odd Tally users in Vancouver. It's not a ton. I mean, so. it's, it sounds like a fair <laughs> bit, but compare that to how many iOS and macOS users there probably are in Vancouver. It's mm-hmm. probably hundreds of thousands, right? So yeah, we're looking at at least two orders of magnitude there. Well, I now, just, yeah, I, I, I like the idea because I've always just wanted to be able to Google my life, like find keys. And that would just find it wherever in my house. I just need a Google for my life. Okay. I think Tasia would agree with that, especially if Google is involved. <laughs> but they're not involved here. <laughs> I, love, I love that theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, you've got uh, Belkin on board, Chipolo, although I've never really heard of them. But Van Moof, the, the, the makers of some pretty high-end e-bikes, they're in there. They're going to be... You know, building this technology in because yeah, e-bikes get stolen all the time, even more so than regular bikes. I know someone who spent nine grand on an e-bike last year and only had it for a few weeks before, poof, gone. Now, when the question is, will there be an, an entire cottage industry on helping uh, resellers uh, disable <laughs> <laughs> this functionality in you know, $9,000 e-bikes? Anyhow, find mine. Coming to a much wider network near you, you can find yourself, your kids, your pets. It's already in the in the beta of fourteen point five point whatever, right? I think I yeah. flipped through that yeah. and saw yeah. it the other day. So again, the speculation is that we will have an Apple hardware entrant to this market. Uh, you know, either sometime this month. They thought there was going to be a March event, didn't happen. Some people are speculating on an April event. We'll see. It might just be press releases. Otherwise, Worldwide Developers Conference (WWDC) in June, where they may have more information for developers on how to take advantage of this. I think one of the other things that is part of this situation by opening it up to third parties, Apple is preemptively trying to avoid any further antitrust talks. You know, mm-hmm. when people, you know, Apple being a you know, a monopoly when it comes to iOS. You know, because they're the only makers of iOS and macOS devices, of course. But there's a lot of rumblings in certain jurisdictions about antitrust, whether it's Amazon, Facebook, Google, who all tend to de- dominate their own markets, and Apple being one of them. So, what are some some uh, bones that Apple can throw to other third parties to maybe keep those hounds at bay? So, mm. yeah. But uh, that pales in comparison to the excitement we all felt, felt when uh, watching a monkey play Pong with the power of its mind. <laughs> you guys seen this? Uh, no. Yep. No, I didn't. Do your homework. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I think I referred to it earlier as the lawnmower monkey uh, from the, I was it 90s classic, the lawnmower man? 
classic in air quotes perhaps yeah. yeah had pierce brosnan and i can't remember who the other guy was but um yeah the, you know uh, it's anytime that we're, we're we're reading things out of something's mind or something's brain i think it's it's, it's a cool p- bit of technology um you know we've, we've had interfaces like this before where you know you you think a certain thing or reflects a certain muscle and things will respond to you uh, in, in a digital way, and they're they're swearing at this point that this is actually the intent of moving this paddle as what we're seeing, as opposed to just a trained response. Um, and if it is, that's really freaking awesome. Well, if you want, it's really neat. So, I mean, this is Elon Musk added again at one of his other companies, Neuralink, who's been working on you know brain computer interfaces for the last few years. And like Graham says, there have been other uh, attempts at this, you know, to decode the signals in our brains and how can we reverse engineer them so that we can not only uh, you know read what someone's you know thinking but you know, maybe at some point influence we've talked a few weeks ago about uh, you know different interfaces like cochlear in- implants to help people hear you know optical implants to help people see again and and so on but now this is the holy grail actually being able to decode what is happening in our brains and i think a lot of this has really been accelerated through machine learning algorithms. It's one thing to, you know, manually sift through all this data. It's another thing for the machine learning algorithms to go and actually find the patterns. So in this video, if you watch it, it's this monkey who's using a joystick to uh, follow a cursor around the screen. You know, the cursor moves to one square, he uses the joystick to move it uh, to the matching square. Later on, you see him playing Pong, again, using this joystick. Then you see these same activities being done with no joystick in sight. <laughs> and that's like, the, the mind-blowing moment, so to speak. Yeah. So, Tisha, how do you how, how would you feel about Elon having access to your brain? Um, I welcome it. I don't know how he would feel about having access to my brain, <laughs> but I would welcome it. Listen, I've told you guys multiple times. We've talked about this before, and it kind of goes, you know, to to what like Will was saying about you know Google my life type thing. But like to me. Y'all know everything about me anyway. The world, if anybody was watching, you know, Big Brother, whatever, everybody's afraid that, you know, we have no privacy. I don't care. I don't have anything to hide. So to me, it's like, take my information, take whatever you need, and make my life easier. Simplify it. Is that totally you awful? More, you think more harm, harm would be done to uh, Elon by actually seeing the contents of your mind? Like yes. <laughs> He'd be like, he thinks, what? Like, humans think like this? Oh, my God, this is the video? (laughs) You guys. So I'm not sure what that thing that he's in his mouth is. I think that might be uh, his reward for getting something right. And maybe he's getting a little bit of, uh, I don't know, juice or something coming through there. That's what would work with our cat. (laughs) And I think that's what that little pipe is doing. It's probably giving a little reward when he gets things right. And you can see he's using the joystick with his right hand. Uh Wow, like I really got to step up. I got to step up my dog training. This is incredible. <laughs> Get your dog playing pong with, with the power. Of Seriously. <laughs> and I, I just to sort of go on also what Tasia said it is I agree. I mean, I think that's at the end of the day, like a lot of this gets down to um, does it make my life easier or better? And one of the things too, I often say, and I know many of us have, you know, Amazon Echoes or Alexa or all that stuff. And that's that's all great. And there's benefit there. But I always feel like what I really want to say is, Alexa, mow the lawn. Alexa, do my taxes. Like, And 
Yes. They don't do that. So, I mean, that's where there's a little bit of like, there's some benefit, but it's not a huge amount. It's like, Alexa, play the who. You know, it's, it's, there's something there, but it's not quite what I want it to be. And you want, you want to be able to think yeah. it and have Alexa yes. do that for you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we just need a filter somehow, you know, because like <laughs> as humans, like, guys, we all going to be canceled <laughs> all of a sudden everything we thought was just out there. So there needs to be some type of filter we could put on it. And then we can say, like, you know, when you're talking into your Apple Watch and it's like, would you like me to send this message? Yes, I would. You know, so like, would you like me to do? Oh, no, don't send that out. <laughs> like, we need to have a filter. That's all. Other than yeah. that, enter. Agree. permission. And, and of course... You know, the, the more profound implications of technology like this, ultimately the direction Neuralink is going toward is being able to allow those with various levels of paralysis to be able to access mm-hmm. technologies in ways, you know, you know if people, if you have a quad, quadriplegic, for example, and they can't even control a joystick, well, and, you know, some, there are some tools that let you use, you know, your eye movements, yes. but if you could reduce the friction even more and associate thoughts with actions on a computer screen to help people communicate or to help them be have some level of independence. Now, and this is only the beginning. I mean, that's the one thing, again, you know, Elon, for his all his foibles, you know, and I think, you know, again, we need visionaries like this, is that where they're going with this ultimately is they want to be able to uh, use technologies like this decoding signals to eventually bypass parts of our bodies which aren't working properly. So, for example, if someone has, uh, you know, a spinal cord compromised and their legs don't work, well, if you can decode the signal, understand what the mind is trying to activate or the brain is trying to activate in the legs, and you then you have a bypass of the spinal cord and get that signal to the legs other way. Otherwise, that's where they're trying to go with this ultimately. So, if you think about you know, benefits for humanity, especially those who have been injured, who have, who have been born with, you know, compromised bodies in one way or the other, you know, spina bifida and so on. And it's not going to be the panacea for all conditions, but the further we push into research like that, combining, you know, so you've got this tech side and then combining with, you know, what they're doing with stem cells to regrow and regenerate nerves and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's a really interesting future in the next uh, little while. There, there are some additional implications as well. And that is, you know, the ability to react incredibly quickly um, through a neural link. And so when you're looking at, um, say, for example, the F-35, fighter pilots having a more uh, direct access to, uh, to controls, it starts there. But, you know, you're driving your car, the amount of time that it takes for your brain to register something happening and then transmit to your foot to stomp on the brake. It's one of the reasons why we've got augmented brakes right now. But you can imagine, right, like looking, looking at it this way, your reaction time would be cut down drastically if the moment that you think something, you can make it happen. I think this also means that we'll be able to pilot giant robot battle suits, and I think they'll be really happy about awesome. that. <laughs> yes. And you know, if we're being honest, I think a lot of people are interested for you know their ref- reflex times in Call of Duty and so on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was straight up Voltron right here. So yeah, and I'll form the head. Perfect. Well, we've talked about Apple entering certain uh, businesses or expanding certain businesses. Uh, we have to pour one out for LG this week, who's decided to exit stage left the smartphone <laughs> business. You know, after years and years of uh, honest, honest effort, um, they've, you know, and lots of interesting innovations and form factors that we're not seeing from Apple and, and Samsung, um, 
they've decided to, you know, to, to pack it in. There's just not enough room in the marketplace for them to make money. Um, how do we feel about this? I mean, are we, are we going to miss LG being in the market? How relevant have they been in the last, you know, five or 10 years? You know, they, they were the ones who were doing different things. Like they, they did come up with different form factors. They were working on ideas that Samsung wouldn't do. And so, yeah, I, I kind of will miss them. You know, we, they're, they're sort of like the weird uncle that gets people to kind of do things like, like here, go try skydiving. That's, that's, that's LG with their phones. Um, I mean, we'll miss them in that vein. I don't think the market's going to miss them. Like right now, if, if people were to ask you, which Android phone should you buy? The answer is typically going to be the high-end Samsung or a Pixel. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of space in the market for anything else. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the Motorola's and whoever else in the world is still doing that, because I don't even know anymore. It's, they, might, they might be upset to hear that, but it's kind of the truth. Like, you, can you think of the last time that somebody recommended a phone other than those two in the Android ecospace? Mm. I'll, I'll miss them just because uh, they were always great to break stuff up in a graphics package or uh, intro B-roll. Um, they were always the one that looked a little different. They had the yellow backing or something. So there's a splash of color after a bunch of sort of boring standards, gray tech devices. So from that standpoint, I will, I will miss them as someone who edits uh, graphics and video. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best i can do this is this is kind of part for the course of what i thought we would have so. well i mean you know they made, they've been, they were known for their contribution to the pre-pixel program that google had their nexus phone line and lg built a bunch of those i'm surprised that uh, google just didn't decide to buy them like they did uh, motorola didn't they buy htc's phone division as well or am i am i dreaming that part but uh you know just then, just add, keep adding more phone companies to the Pixel division. You know, they'll eventually uh, have something that tends to be a mass market because Pixel phones are great if you want the pure Android experience. But again, they sell a small fraction compared to Samsung. I think one of the you know the biggest uh, chains of this whole situation is that you know generally speaking, competition is good because it keeps the market leaders honest. It keeps them on their toes. You know, being Apple, Samsung, and then you know. I think Google, I'm not sure how far down they are. OnePlus has been a real upstart in the last few years. Uh, you know, not, you know, more with enthusiasts. Uh, Xiaomi, especially in China, Huawei in, in China, having some problems in, in other markets due to trust issues. <laughs> Although, you know, supposedly it's not really the phone division, uh, more their, their hardware and network infrastructure type stuff. But, you know, LG was, you know, ones that gave us you know, modular phones, which, you know, in addition to Motorola, uh, experimenting with that didn't really catch on. Uh, also, recently, the LG Wing, which had a second screen that tilted so that you had like a T shape. It's like someone's got to be throwing the spaghetti at the wall. I mean, we can't expect <laughs> Samsung to do it all. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of what comes out of having sort of two major operating systems, right? And and not having control of that operating system yourself, you try to innovate through hardware. Because let's face it, I mean, LG's software division probably was not going to be coming out with the, the, the killer app to buy an LG phone. So, you know, the hardware division's like, sure, crazy, well, we'll kind of do the thing. And they did a bunch of things, and none of those things really took off. I mean, maybe there is a parallel universe where the, the wing is the huge phone. Uh, but it's not here. Speaking of huge things, Tasia's got a new... Uh... <laughs> Device hey, in life. <laughs> who are you calling huge? 
<laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you were telling us about your some of your challenges with your myriad devices you're trying to connect to your MacBook Pro, and you found a solution for that. Thanks, and no, and no a small part to uh, some recommendations from the team here and uh, our little friend named Amazon. What did you end up with, Dave? Yes, I got the Anchor Power Hub. You guys. You guys. She's a sexy <laughs> little number, okay? And I will say this. I think it's like a 13-in-1, so anything and everything can be plugged Whoa. into her. Um, she does run very hot to the point oh, yeah. where, like, I need to make sure I, I remember to, like, disconnect and then, like, turn her off before I take a break or whatever because, like, don't want to set the house on fire. But with that said, it's also, like, pretty warm in here, and I do live in the desert. So I'm giving her some grace with that. So far, she's been phenomenal. The biggest difference I've noticed because my big problem was I'm connecting multiple devices at any one time. So I've got, you know, like Bluetooth, mouse, and keyboard. Then I have like multiple external hard drives. I've got different SD cards, micro SD cards, you know, like just different for different video transfers. So I've noticed uh a little bit of quicker video transfer which has been great um no more lag time with my keyboard it used to go out all the time and i couldn't figure out why <laughs> whoops yep <laughs> so that's been a big difference um so yeah it's really helped my workflow i have to say and thank you all for your recommendations because i wasn't sure do i go with the powered hub do i just stick to something a bit smaller but Ooh, this girl. Mm-mm. She's a beast. I'm looking at her right now. I wish I could like hold her up for you, but again, I have multiple things plugged in right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she does look like one of those old timey space uh, heaters as well. So, like, yeah. so, um, yeah. so just so, so we run through. We've got Thunderbolt two Thunderbolt three ports, micro SD card mm-hmm. slot, USB A three USB A ports, an SD card slot, four uh, K HDMI port, USB C port audio in and out, gigabit Ethernet, another USB-C port, and another USB-A port. And I think just what what sets this apart from a lot of other similar, and to be fair, less expensive options, this this isn't merely a USB-C dock. This is a Thunderbolt 3 dock. So for Mm -hmm. Mac users especially, this gives you that extra uh, bandwidth that you might not have with mere USB-C. Up to 40 gigabits per second. So if you're tossing files around to your external drives, that can be a huge time saver. So in general, thumbs up from Tasia on that? Thumbs up. And what I would say to anyone looking to, you know, get any type of hub would be um, just do your research on like your own use case, because there's a lot of hubs similar to this, but say they wouldn't have the Ethernet port or it's missing one of the USB C ports or you know USB 3.0 ports and like that that was a big thing for me. I needed a certain amount of USB ports, a certain amount of USB C, and and I needed the Ethernet. And it's actually not that many combine all of those things in one, which may be why she why she runs a bit warm. But um, so far, I'm really really happy, and I'll update you guys because we are working on updating our internet, which has been a whole thing with Cox because we have to run brand new fiber line long story but when we get that all done and we're going to reset everything as a hub up in this office i'll update you guys to let you know how she's working for my ethernet and everything too see if i have an explosion if that just makes her run way too hot we don't know there 
there, there's one thing, well, a couple of things to look out for when you're buying these devices. Um, the first one is um, the, the smaller, the cheaper ones uh, typically won't do 4K 60. So they won't do 4K resolution at 60 frames per second. That's the, that's a, that's the big one, um, which, you know, as more and more uh, displays are doing 4K 60 and above, they're doing 120 frames a second in some cases and, and beyond. Um, it, it's, it's a noticeable thing, like shifting from 30 frames a second to 60 frames a second, which is what our computer monitors have typically run at, is a, is a very big change. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I opted for a, for a dock as well. Um, and the, the, you mentioned USB-C ports. This is the interesting thing. When you buy the, the, the less expensive ones, the ones that have got basically like the two or the one USB-C that stick into the side of your laptop, mm -hmm. um, there is a, a chip that runs USB-C. And uh, almost no uh, of these, none of these smaller docks um, have that chip in there, which is why that you don't get additional USB-C ports. You will just get the pass-through. Um, so when you go to a dock, you will usually find that it's got that additional processor in there to handle USB-C. But there's been so little innovation on that front over the course of the last three years. I've been watching this segment of the market, and nobody's really grabbed it to do anything interesting. Um, Hyper was doing some stuff. Anker with this, it's great. And it's not that expensive. Thunderbolt 3 docks yeah. were you know, six, $700 at one point. It's like, really? So I, would you get it for 300 bucks? Oh, God, no, not even. No. Well... So I'm paying US dollars. So yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like, wait a second. No, I think it was on sale about 180 bucks for me ish. Don't, well, you know, um, that's three Canadian rubles. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so by the way, if anybody wants one, they can go to my Amazon storefront or watch one of my latest YouTube videos and find an affiliate link. <laughs> wait one second. We're going to have competing affiliate programs going on here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just so the problem this is solving and you know, those of those of us that have, uh, laptops, you know, MacBooks or otherwise, especially Apple is notorious for this, for having a limited number of USB-C uh, ports on the newer machines. If you have a MacBook Air or a lower-end 13-inch MacBook Pro, you've only got two USB-C ports. Quite often, one of them is taken up by power. Uh, if you have one of the higher-end 13-inch MacBook Pros or a 16-inch MacBook Pro, you've got four USB-C ports, and that's what you've got, right? Usually, this is a 16-inch MacBook Pro. But even then, if you're an, you know, a Pro user or a Pro-ish user, those 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 slots can get oh. taken up quite quite quickly, <laughs> and especially They're this all is the, full. the yeah. And if you have any of those that are drawing any devices that are drawing significant amounts of power, including external drives, that's where you can get into real problems. So that's why we recommend a powered hub that's had its own AC uh, power adapter, rather than just pulling additional power from your laptop, because each of those ports only can deliver so much power. So great to we got one tech gremlin slain for you there Deja. now will has a little bit of news speaking of thorns in our technical sides you've been you're a a, a serato user well can you tell us what serato is and what the news is on that front Close sure to so, news, anyways so i i actually kind of use a, a couple pieces of software from uh serato serato is a company that actually makes uh, dvs software and other music programs also a few other things one of the other ones i i use is called serato studio which is a beat making program i i use one of two beat making programs either ableton or serato studio but regardless um i think sort of the the major problem here is is the main serato software the serato um dj software um serato dj pro uh won't work with big sur like really at all um it's basically breaking and and tristan maybe you have more 
more sort of background on this, but uh, Big Sur, I think, is one of the the sort of bigger updates or is a more major uh, update uh, in terms of operating system. And uh, it's just one of those things where audio software, things like Ableton, things like Serato, things like Tractor often lag behind and have difficulty dealing with it. So we're finally getting to the point uh, where there's a beta um, that will work with um, Big Sur for Serato. And also, um, I guess the other problem too, on top of all this, it's not just that Big Sur was a big update, but also there's the M1 chipset that I guess some people um, in the community have been in buying this. And, and that's also a problem because this really gets down to the core nuts and bolts of how the computers work, which is how some of these programs, these audio programs that link into timing and into sound cards, um, it really goes deep into the nuts and bolts. So Big Sur has been out since, what, about the summer? And we, we still haven't really fully got a full build. We're only in beta. Um, so I'm I'm desperately looking forward because I want to update my computer. I'm having some some small little problems here, and, and the issue always comes up. Well, update the Big Sur. Well, I can't update the Big Sur, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna nuke one of my biggest hobbies, which is DJing and and uh, creating uh, music, um, because most of those things don't work or only work partly with with Big Sur. And this is something that uh, you know, if we zoom out a little bit uh, to you know, users in general is a question of whenever there's a major software update, uh, operating system update, it can make your apps not work anymore, not work as well, or, or, or glitch out. And you know, this has been going on you know, as long as software has been around. You know, one of the biggest transitions, of course, was for, on the Apple side of things was from classic Mac OS, Mac OS 9, to OS 10. And there was a huge power shift in the desktop publishing industry. You remember Cork Express? They took a long, long time to get all their uh, pre their publishing desktop publishing software, preprint software, which is used by so many printing houses. They took for ages to get that over to OS X. Adobe, in the meanwhile, got ahead of the game. There, they had PageMaker. They they made InDesign, and InDesign ended up stealing tons and tons of business away from Cork Express. So developers have to be careful that you know when there's big changes coming that they get on that quickly because it's an opportunity for for upstarts to come and steal market share away. Now, Apple, to their credit, had Catalina, which came out in the summer of 2019. Catalina kind of fell on its sword a little bit and killed all the 32-bit apps uh, compatibility for Mac OS, clearing the way for Big Sur, in some ways, to be the good guy, in some ways, because what it introduced was compatibility for the M1 Macs, which have seen huge improvements in performance. And by we, you know, we did, they didn't want to sully that story, the M1 story, by a whole bunch of apps being broken by the lack of 32-bit compatibility. So we're in pure 64-bit mode on the newest Macs, uh, running the uh, M1 uh, chips, the Apple Silicon, the first generation uh, for the Macs. But this is also Mac OS 11, and it's, a it's still a large enough change under the hood that it's still going to break a lot of other things. And like you said, well, when you get down to the nitty-gritty stuff, so things like you know audio, where timing is so important, 
And you know, in operating systems nowadays, we have so many layers of abstraction. And you know, when you start changing things down that are cl- close to the metal, as they say, uh, it can mess things up throughout the entire stack to the, the user end of things. So there's a lot of work to do to bring those apps uh, up to date. Now, Graham, have you seen any of that? those challenges, big search challenges on, on some of the audio apps that you're using? No, I well, I was just, I brought this up earlier. Will had said something about Tractor not getting an update. I'm like, hang on a darn second. Native Instruments is fully compatible. <laughs> no, there was there was a problem actually right off the bat with yeah. the uh, S4 Mark III, which is uh, one of their DJ controllers. It's a four channel controller, and uh, my friend Curtis has one. Mm. And I sent him a message as soon as Big Sur came out saying, "Don't update because this could actually actually break your controller." Mm-hmm. Um, mine, the S2 Mark III, was fine. Couldn't tell you for why, but obviously there's something under the hood there that wasn't quite as compatible in the S4. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since then, they've actually they pushed out betas really quick. Uh, they managed to get people, you know, up and running with mm-hmm. all of their software, everything from uh, from massive to contacts to complete. Um, and yeah, it's it, it, we're, we're humming along over here. So, mm-hmm. uh, Will, if you want to borrow my tractor, <laughs> you can. Yeah. So your, I, your mileage may vary. Yeah, and uh, I'm. This is one of those things where I've I've used Tractor before, and I actually like Tractor. Unfortunately, with a lot of the um, hardware that I use, it's uh, mostly Serato based. So things like uh, Pioneer S nine S eleven things like that. I also have a, a, a I can never say the word machine machina machina. machina. Um, so yeah, it, and Graham's right. Uh, there was. There's a bit of delay I, I seem to see, but that that always is a bit of a thing with audio programs, as I said earlier, that it seems like a, it's a little bit of a slower update, but um, definitely Serato's been extra slow. Uh, I mean, we're we're still basically having people nuking systems, not knowing buying new laptops and not being able to use Serato and then yelling on message boards. So um, <laughs> so it, I still see it all the time. So uh, yeah, so... Luckily, I've updated some of my stuff, but there's a few things, like I said, um, Serato Studio um, and uh, Serato DJ Pro are the two things that I'm stopping me from updating to Big Sur. So as, as part of this larger phenomenon with major software updates, I don't know about y'all, and we'll get to you, is that I, don't, I wait like with iOS usually three or four months before updating my iOS device. So I was doing my iPad first and then my iPhone, mm-hmm. you know, most mission critical things last. When it comes to mm-hmm. Mac OS, I wait even longer. I didn't install Catalina until it was mm-hmm. it had been out almost a year. So I didn't install Catalina until last summer, like just after big surveys were, were coming out. Because you know, I'm of a certain age and you know, there was a time when I used to run beta software and whatnot. And that age is, you know, was twenty years ago. <laughs> so um, I remember running the betas of Mac OS 10 server before they even had the Aqua interface, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. You could see the power there. Tasia. How long do you wait to install updates on your Mac or your iOS devices? Generally, um, after there's a second or third iteration of it. So when you're on like iOS and they do like 10.0.1, no, no, wait. (laughs) So you like, I always tell everybody, and by the way, I don't just wait when it's, well, typically I don't just wait with a software side. I wait on the hardware side too, because you all know with Apple and they want you to buy the latest and greatest because everybody's yeah. got this FOMO and they have to do whatever. The only thing I never took my advice on was the 11 Pro. I bought this baby the second she hit market. The first time I've yeah. ever done it with a device. Usually even my devices, I'm waiting until there's the next model because 
the first one has the kinks, you know, they got to work out the mm -hmm. kinks. So that's always my rule of thumb for everybody is wait till there's the update to it so that you know, it's got some bug fixes and, and so on. Well, I had the same problem. I did upgrade to uh, Big Sur and it actually messed up my Camtasia, which is my screen recording software, which is a major part of my YouTube videos. <laughs> so yeah. it's still functional. I can still use it, but uh, it's glitchy. And I happen to know where a certain record button is or else I wouldn't be able to use it because the, re the record button has disappeared. Yeah. It's and there. That's, that's that's but one of my problems is, is that there's some of my software um, telling me, and, and there's been some um, new updates on some software as well that basically require Big Sur um, yeah. because I guess they're trying to push to Big Sur, but then I have these other things like Serato lagging behind. So it sort of brings the whole system down. So something's got to give. one of them is going to be glitchy. Either Serato is going to be working fine or it's going to be broken. So it, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's definitely, I think this is maybe more, as Tristan, you were saying, this is maybe a more unusual situation because this is sort of once in a long time. They're not only doing a big software update where they cleared a bunch of room, but they're also doing a big sort of hardware, the way that the actual computers work. Um, so, and things like Serato, I guess, maybe rely on that more or are... Or they may have a smaller dev team too, this. for all we know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Will, I think that you, you're generally pretty cautious when it comes to the updates as well. One of the nice things, especially on the macOS side, is they've separated out the security updates from the major uh, system updates. So if you're not re ready to commit to the, you know, the next dot release or even you know, the, the next major uh, full digit uh, revision, there's a number of security updates you can install in the meantime. Now, Graham, you traditionally have been a little bit more um, a little bit more brave when it comes to doing. I, I remember even just in the last couple of years, you're getting betas on gold masters and and so on. It, uh, what's your mo nowadays? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't as much anymore. Um, I I, I, stand, I tend to stick to things that are less dangerous, like you know, jaywalking in the middle of the night. Um, but <laughs> you know, typically for me, it's if there's if there's a really desirable feature uh, on a mm. beta. Um, you know, right now, if I if I had the ability to, because I don't think they've got it in open beta, the new Apple Watch um, software that would let you do the, uh, if it's on your wrist, it unlocks your phone instead of having to use Face ID. So that's a that's a feature that's coming at 14.5, but I don't think you can get that yet. And I haven't really looked into it, but I've got the beta running on my phone and it's fine. You know, 14 was was fine. Um, typically though, with, uh, with Mac OS, um, I wait about a week. Right, I don't wait until well, the point. Well, that's it. I wait. I wait about a week uh, because if you're not at smoking crater point by the first seven days, it's going to be fine. Now, they're, they're, I don't do a whole lot of mission critical things with my own personal machine. He said, running all of the video streaming. Okay, so <laughs> maybe I need to reevaluate that. <laughs> um, well, and, and it's, it's funny because I, I had a, I had a moment earlier this week um, where we were shooting an episode of GC Tech Talk. And I was doing a bit on DJing. And so I brought all my stuff into work. And it's, it's weird shooting with nobody there. You know, it's like a skeleton crew. And so I'm setting all of this up and I'm plugging everything in. And I realized I've forgotten a USB-C cable. So it's fine. I grab one of those. And I go to fire up the software. And the software starts up fine. But the actual DJ unit won't, won't fire up. Like you, you plug it in, the lights come on, the lights go off. 
crying out loud. Like, what? What? This has been sitting here for three or four months. I haven't touched it. Why is it broken? And that's when I realized that I am launching Tractor 2 instead of Tractor 3. So let this be a warning to you. As you upgrade your software, delete the old versions. Mm-hmm. That was half an hour of tears and bitterness. Yeah. Because I, I just used Spotlight to launch Tractor. didn't look. Ah. I think I'm not a clever man. Let's add a caveat to that, though. You can delete or uninstall your previous version, but it's always good to make sure you still have an installer of the old version kicking around somewhere in case you want to roll back. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, just the new version just doesn't work for whatever reason. You're like, oh, go back. And best advice for anyone is don't do major software upgrades or operating system upgrades in the middle of a project. No, never. <laughs> uh, Tristan, to that point, for anyone that's going to do a major like software update, like to a big sir or whatever, it's not impossible, but it's very challenging and you need to know your SHIT to try to revert back <laughs> once you've gone <laughs> that route. So don't if you're questioning it, just don't do it. Okay? Just wait. Yeah. And make sure you've got updated backups as well. Backup. I was gonna say, is anybody still using yeah. Time Machine? I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I stopped. Really? Because there's nothing, there's nothing on my on my system that isn't automatically synced to the cloud and by in multiple ways. And it's like Time Machine would help me revert back to a point where the system was working well beforehand, but this is a Mac. And I have very rarely had those moments. I had to I had to do a full reinstall on Windows 10 uh, because I changed the processor and a motherboard out. And apparently that just meant every blue screen error on the planet. Um, and it would not restore to a previous one. So that was a clean wipe. But actually, I haven't, I haven't used Time Machine in, you know, I'm going to knock on web right now. But I haven't used Time Machine in probably about three or four years. Well, Graham, this is, spoken, this is spoken from a man who helped me when my old MacBook Pro, like, bit it for the fourth time. So I, <laughs> I had a lemon, you guys. I was one of the special cases that I saved up a lot of money. I bought my very first laptop, like new, not like a refurb, like whatever. And she was a lemon. She had four hard drives in the short life that I had her. And I have to tell you, I take care of my stuff. It's not banged around. I back up everything. Graham saved me when I was on a work trip and helped like install a brand new hard drive, like (laughs) saved me. And that is why I still back up and use Time Machine because I'm scarred. I've lived through a lemon. Yeah, that's and fair. that computer, by the way, gave it to my sister. Still ticking. <laughs> so you did a good install, Graham. You did a good Thank install. You. Thank you. <laughs> let me just uh, let me just represent the belt and suspenders contingent for a moment here, because Graham, I get what you're saying in terms of moving away from Time Machine, but going all cloud, you may, some of you may be familiar or heard of the three to one strategy when it comes to backups, having three total copies of your data, two of which, which are local, but on different mediums and at least Mm. one in the cloud. So if we go only one copy in the cloud, then that's our single point of failure. Two copies in the cloud, well, that's a little less, but it still might be handy to have local backups should, you know, the S hit the F, and <laughs> and maybe you're in a compromised uh, bandwidth situation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't don't get me wrong. I still have a time machine backup. I just haven't 
used one. Oh, but in still, three still or four years. It's still backing, it's still up, backing right up. Oh, yeah. okay. Well. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. No, it's oh. just humming along in the background. Was... You know, if, the, if the apocalypse hits, oh. we're, 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 we're right. fine. But no, I just, I, I literally have not. Like even when I bought new Max, I, I the, the transfer utility. I don't even do that anymore. I just grab everything from my oh, cloud. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's glad to no, see no, you're full, still. Full yeah. Full All right. Yeah, I'm still glad to see you're in, remain in God's light. Anyhow, let's move on. <laughs> <to> our... <laughs> Next up, some picks of the week. We've got uh, some interesting picks. Graham, what is Invincible? I mean, Invincible, aside from oh. your data backup strategy, obviously. Hang on, I'll, I'll bring this up here because I was we we're gonna go to see Resident Alien first, but let's just do Invincible. This is um this is a, an indie comic book uh that's been made into a uh I'm a big a fan series. by the way. Yeah, it, it, it was a series by Amazon. I, I figured you would be well. Yeah. So let me, let me the, the comic here. book is amazing. And uh I've I've only watched the first episode so far, but it's pretty much it's one of the most spot on um sort of direct translations that I've seen of a comic book. Yeah, and you've got, uh, you've got Steve Ewan, you've got uh, Sandra Oh, and J.K. Simmons, um, who it's just, he's got that like wonderful mellifluous voice that also can just be so brash and arrogant at times, and it's great. And so um, this basically takes place in a world where superheroes exist, and uh, Invincible, uh, Mark Grayson, his dad is Omni-Man, and in the first episode, he comes into his powers, but something very, very tragic and very terrible happens at the end of this episode. And it's uh, it kind of takes you by surprise. So um, I've, I think there were, were five episodes in. Mm. And this is, it's it's pretty brilliant so far. It's it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, characters make decisions that you think characters would make. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I would recommend it. So what imprint are the, the comics on? Image. Uh, Okay, so it's not Marvel or DC, it's not one of the big boys, it's no. not even Dark Forces. Image? Right. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ro so Robert, Kirkman is, right. Robert Kirkman is one of the partners in Image now, based on his work with The Walking Dead and with Invincible. Gotcha. So the Grayson in there is no relation to Dick Grayson from the... The other thing I'll just say about Robert, Robert Kirkman, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I think he's brilliant. I've read a lot of, you know, sort of the big books he's done. But this is a little bit, of, and I, I'm with Graham. Watch this. This is amazing. I watched it with my wife. The one thing you have to understand about Robert Kirkman is he is not scared of killing people, and he is not scared of killing people violently and forever. They don't come back. So just keep that in mind when you're watching this. If you get attached to people, People do die in, in Invincible and obviously in The Walking Dead, and they don't really come back. Like in most comic books, people come back. Like Wolverine, Batman's died three times, been paralyzed. You know, Professor X is, you know, half the time he's either paralyzed or dead. He's only actually alive maybe one third of the time. So, uh, I mean, I think, I think just keep that in mind when you're watching this. This is an 18 plus series. So, this is not for kids. Um, there is a lot of graphic violence in it. So, don't be uh, don't be watching it with your youngsters. This is this is just for mom and dad. Well, while we're in the uh, comic book universe, uh, Will, you wanted to highlight uh, a new trailer that's come to us uh, through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I don't know if you guys caught it or if anyone out there is, is caught it, but uh, there's again uh, building on the sort of Disney Plus uh, empire. Um, so we were 
we were at Mandalorian last year, late last year, and then we are at um, uh, WandaVision, and now we're sort of most of the way through uh, Winter Sol- or Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I'm enjoying. Um, and this is sort of the next entry that's going to come out in June, I believe. Um, they released uh, sort of another trailer, and I, I really enjoyed it. I'm getting hardcore Brazil... 1984 type vibes from it. And I, I'm really loving where it's going. Obviously there's, there's a lot of comic book stuff in there, but I'm also just getting a lot of vibes of classic movies and Terry Gilliam and, and lots of great things in there. So I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that, but. I, I noticed Pedro Pascal. So thumbs up there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that we're getting more of uh, Tom Hiddleston's mm-hmm. Loki. It's, you know, they're, they're and obviously spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen all the way through Endgame, but it looked like we weren't going to get a whole lot more Loki. And so to, to see this and, you know, they, he's got he's got variant on the back of his shirt because this is the Loki that grabbed the Tesseract and buggered off through through time and space. And so he's he's broken time. That's awesome. It's great. And I really can't wait to see uh, what, what happens with this. I don't know if you guys can see my video right now, but I am Max Hedrooming out. Yes. Way, and it's kind of awesome. <laughs> so the understanding here is that this is probably a lead in to the next Doctor Strange movie. I think okay. WandaVision was more of a direct lead into uh, to Doctor Strange. Um, with we were talking time, multiverses, though. That's my only thought. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah. Multiverse of Madness, Doctor yeah. Strange. We'll see when the movies actually make it out. If they're going to hold off for theatrical releases, or if they're mm-hmm. going to put the streaming. I mean, I still, I'm still. Oh, I've got a, a log jam of DC movies that I haven't seen yet because I'm waiting for the theaters to open up. And mm-hmm. fingers crossed, they actually. But uh, hopefully, before we get too deep into the uh, the Marvel releases, which they've been kind of hanging on, we're still waiting for Black Widow. And I think they're going to do Black Widow on streaming now. Is that is that the latest? Or are they holding up? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, and one one of the great things too here, and and you know, not to get too far down the rabbit hole of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but these do feel like so far that these are almost like little background stories. So people who are and very well produced, high end background stories that feel like a movie, but it's almost sort of like you know, at the end of Endgame, Cap has given Falcon the, the shield, and there might not be that much if you just watch the next movie there may not be all that much that you missed if you didn't watch the show. But for those who are really interested and want a little bit more, this is more character development, more psychology about what it means to be Captain America or Falcon or what it means um, to be the Winter Soldier. So, and, and same with WandaVision. It was a little bit about, you know, who is she and, and where do her powers come from. If you just watched the next movie and you skipped all of it, I don't. you might not miss all that much. Well, we'll have to... Uh... Wait until June to get a little bit of Loki, but Falcon and Winter Soldier definitely been, and I've been enjoying that so far. And Tasia, we got to get you caught up. I know. <laughs> I have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> what, There's one, a lot one show, out there. One show that I've been enjoying uh, recently, which is uh, from the Sci-Fi Network in the U.S., and I believe mm-hmm. it's on Crave here in Canada, uh, is Resident Alien, starring no, none other than Alan Tudyk who some of you may remember from Firefly. He's also done lots mm-hmm. of other uh, TV work, lots of uh, voiceover work for animated series. He's got a great voice. He's got a great face, too. Unfortunately, we don't get to see him in the animation. But you may recall he also did the voice of K2SO in Star Wars Rogue One. So mm-hmm. Alan Tudyk in this story, Resident Alien, 
plays an alien who crash lands on Earth and uh, ends up taking the place of the local small town country doctor. Because <laughs> that's just the situation he finds himself in and having to adapt to the human ways very quickly and discovering what it means to be human. Um, hilarity ensues. That's, if you want something a little lighter, the half-hour episodes, um, you know, there's a lot of seriousness in the world right now, so it's nice to find something that uh, it's just, uh, you know, funny, and, you know, it's, you can never get enough Alan Tudyk. And the characters, the secondary supporting characters are, uh, mm-hmm. are fantastic, and, and <laughs> including one uh, young boy who is the only one in town who can see his true face, his alien face. So, they have, we have some danger there, and they've got to come to some sort of understanding quick, otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so that's Resident Alien on Sci-Fi in the U.S., and I believe Crave in uh, Canada, if you, if you all haven't uh, seen that yet. It's great. We checked out the first episode. We loved it. Yay! Um, well, you've got a pick of the week as well. Or actually, it's more about another It's not so much pick of the week as a personal project you're working on, and... Uh, Fresh Coast Looper, you give us a, you've t- talked to us a little bit about this before. Can you give us an update? Sure. This is uh, one of my solo loopers. So um, basically, I just created, um, I think it's 12 beats. And uh, this one is a little bit personal for me in the sense that um, I I normally just create a, a bunch of loops that, you know, are a bunch of beats that I, I like or that, you know, sounded good. I, I create beats every day and I usually pick, you know, once a month, pick maybe the top 10 or top 15 to to put out in a looper. This one was actually, I had a, I gave myself a theme. So it's based on um, sort of the local hip hop scene in Vancouver and some of the musical influences that I have. So each one of these loops is named after um, sort of an institution or a person in um, the Vancouver hip hop community from the early 90s to the early 2000s. So things like uh, Incredible Ease, who was a... Uh, um, uh, a very important um, rapper and and uh, radio host uh, for Crispy Biscuit and very influential in the hip hop community. He's one of the first ones that I named something after. So for me, it was a little bit of a challenge. I gave myself a challenge about doing um, beats that were really influenced from each of those those things, or at least were inspired by those things. So um, for me, this was a, a little bit of a passion project or a fun little challenge. So. Um, I hope you guys check it out. I, I really enjoyed this one. We'll have to get some of those beats in our future fully produced momentous uh, videos when we get those back online as well. So we can find you at tablebeats.com. If you just search Molotov Fresh Coast, it should come up, I trust. Yeah, it's- that's uh, right. Right now, Table Beats is, uh, is the one that's got it out. I will also say, sorry, just another side plug. Didn't put this in there. Table Beats recently launched a patreon and uh, i really encourage people to subscribe he does this pretty much mostly for free he puts up uh he supports an app and a website and puts all these beats out for people and uh he's had some increase in server costs so he's asking people to help out so uh, definitely check out check out his patreon so patreon slash um table beats excellent well we Looking forward to checking that out. And all the links can be found in our show notes. Tasia, you had a video this week that I that actually had personal relevance for me. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> it wasn't about Google, <laughs> but I put it in there. But she made it in there somehow, didn't she? Um, so I actually took a deep dive. I had a few people request to know exactly how I shoot and edit my YouTube videos. 
So this video shows exactly my YouTube setup and equipment. It was um, but yeah, I go over everything. Everything's linked in the video. I show you exactly how I organize my content. That's where Google comes in at the very beginning. I've got chapters for everybody. They can go through my exact